This episode is brought to you by The Cruise of Thrones. Find all the details and reserve your spot at cruiseofthrones.com and join us as we explore Westeros. Hey everyone, and welcome to another Game of Thrones Tower of Babel breakdown. As always, I am Julian Muche. I am joined by Daniel D'Souza. What's up? And we are here to talk about Season 1, Episode 5, The Lion and the Wolf. And if you are just joining us now, halfway through the season, uh, we are re-watching Season 1, right? So we are going to be spoiling everything up through the end of Season 7 of Game of Thrones, HBO's Game of Thrones. Uh, we do try to only talk about the show as a show. Of course, Daniel likes to give us nice insights from the book. I have never read the books. I don't plan to until the series is over. And even then, eh, maybe just an audiobook. <laughs> That's uh, ridiculous. No, it's not. But I don't want to get into this argument. You can hear that on a regular show if you want to hear us argue about the value of audiobooks. Um, I have a lot more energy than I did last episode. Uh, I had I got a full night's sleep. I had a shower today, so I feel fresh, um, and and yeah, so I'm I'm excited to talk about this week, uh, this this episode this week. But before we get into that, I should mention if you like what we do, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's not iTunes anymore; it's Apple Podcasts. Okay, that's important. That's really helpful for us. Uh, but also keep up with what we do at our Twitter account at Tower Babblecast, that's B-A-B-B-L-E, and Facebook.com slash Tower Babblecast. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. That's the important stuff. Of course, we do have a website, towerofbabble.ca, where you find everything that we do. Uh, and let's get into it, shall we? We shall. Okay, cool. So let's start with the opening scene, and Ned is chatting with Sir Barristan about a dead Sir Hugh. Um... They talked, they were kind of, it was like, it's kind of a nice little chat. I kind of, it's nice that they don't really interact a lot, the two of them. So uh, they used to be enemies, I guess, right? When they were, he, when Ned was fighting the rebellion. Unfortunately, yeah. They were just, they just happened to be on opposite sides. Right. And uh, <laughs> I think Barristan mentions his father uh, a little bit. I think, I guess he's kind of, he feels bad for what happened to, to some degree. Um, and then they start talking about how Sir Hugh had new armor just recently purchased for him. So this kind of ties us back to what we were talking about in our last episode, which is that we are following this whole Sir Hugh back, like C plot or B like side plot, right? That is um, basically driving the paranoia for the Starks, right? Or at least for Ned. So <laughs> thing is, Every time he like they talk about it, it sounds so. It, it, if you if you're watching for the first time, it makes sense. It's like obviously Sir Hugh poisoned John Aaron. This is it's so obvious, right? And then yeah. it's just Ned working his way to getting the like the hard truth that he needs, the evidence that he needs to um, to lay that conviction down or whatever, right? But none of it matters. <laughs> it's not even true. So it's like, what is like what is this new armor thing? Like who bought him the new armor? Is that again? Is that we just talk, is this another coincidence that this happened? I think uh, they, what Barrison said is he may it may have been left for him by John Aaron, or he may have had an inheritance of some sort from mm. John Aaron. Okay, okay. Um, but I was thinking a bit about it a bit more, and it's probably like 
it is obviously a red herring. It's it's a it's a wild goose chase, right? Mm-hmm. But it could be by design. Like Littlefinger could have planned this because it keeps Ned off the, the his scent essentially, right? It's true. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't put that past Littlefinger at all. He could, like, obviously, it's it's hard to fake the 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 jousting accident. Like, you just have to tell the mountain <laughs> to kill somebody. But yeah. the, the mountain, pro- like, just enjoys killing people anyways. So. Yeah, he, al- he almost killed Renly, or no, um, Loris. Yeah, Loris. He almost Loris. killed Loris in this episode. Um, yeah, <laughs> just just because he lost, right? Like he he literally would try to take his head off. So and because yeah. Loris cheated. Did he cheat? Why is that? He um he made sure that the the mare he was riding was in heat, so it would like throw off the mountains stallion. Oh. It uh, yeah, got him all, they all angry. And, they mentioned that, but like, is is that really is that cheating? Is that a, is that a, a, like an actual cheat, or is that just like a loophole? That's a loose definition. <laughs> I it's it's definitely definitely uh, dishonorable, right? Mm. It's not within the rules of the joust. Oh, well, isn't the joust just get on a horse and hit each other with sticks? I feel like there's no rules any yeah. further than that. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. It's a loophole, I guess. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, anyway, uh, is there anything else we should mention about this whole um, armor and Sir Hugh subplot? It kind of evolves a bit later in the in this episode into being something else. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it does. I don't know. I, I, it's always nice to see characters like Barrison and Ned, like because they have this historical context. They talk about the old times. You know, I like having that happen. It happens a few times in the books, and it's always valuable. The good old days. Even though they weren't good old days, but yeah, <laughs> it, it's 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 so weird because I guess during that time of the rebellion, it just seems it, it, from the perspective we get from this time period is that things were just more like black and white, right? You had a, in fact, I think even Robert mentions it in uh, later in the episode where when he's talking to Cersei about how uh, the kingdom has lost its like its 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 direction right it has no it has no forward momentum or goal because it has nothing to fight against right mm-hmm. uh, because at that time it's like oh everyone has rallied against the the insane king right or mo- some people did right and that it was pretty it's a common cut. sentiment it's easy to be unified yeah. when you have a, a common enemy right? right and now there's no common enemy and it's like it's just all snakes and backstabbing and it just so even though it was wartime you know those those the quote unquote honorable people of the of the realm look back at that and think, yeah, it was wartime. It wasn't great, but at least we knew what we were doing, and it was it, it was clear, right? So yeah, that's something. I, don't know, I feel like everybody looks at their youth that way, though. I don't think so. I don't like, know. I had most no people, idea what it's I was a very doing. common sentiment for people to look back and th- say it was a simpler time. Well, when there's life without the internet was literally a simpler time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so. We have another scene with Ned and Robert, and uh, it's in like Robert's tent. I guess Robert wants to do some jousting of his own. Is that the, what's that's what's going on here, right? Yeah, uh, he's always been a competitor. He that this is what he lives for. This is his <laughs> form of entertainment, right? And he's basically torturing Lancel. You know, de- tells him to get the the breastplate stretcher, which is pretty funny. Um, I love that stuff. It's it's essentially the, the <clears throat> Westeros equivalent of get like the ice mix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you send you get a new person working at the bar. Like, oh man, we're out of we're out of uh, we're out of ice. You got to get some ice mix, and then they go run around looking for ice mix, and then they find out about three quarters of the way through their their mission that it doesn't exist, and it ice mix is just water. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've done that before. I've done the one at, at uh, I used to work at a hardware store. 
tell somebody they need to go find a manager to find the basement. Turns out there's no basement. They just look like an idiot in front of the manager. It's always fun. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, it's not, it, it, yeah, exactly. So just he's just rubbing the new guy, I guess. Um, but anyway, Robert's too fat for his armor, and Ned is kind of being like, "Are you serious, dude? No one's gonna hit you. It's like you're not gonna have fun. This you're not gonna enjoy this, right?" Um, so that's, I think I like that a lot as well. He's basically, I, Ned is the, the person that can actually tell him no, no one else can say no to Robert. Right. And it's kind of, he, he's kind of become like a spoiled little brat, um, to some degree, right. A little bit. Yeah, definitely. It's not even that Ned's like, I'm sure plenty of people say no. Ned's the only one Robert would listen to. Right. The only one Robert respects around him. So. He tells him, like, dude, smarten up, and you are too fat for your armor, <laughs> you <know? laughs> uh, which is great. Then we have the mountain versus Loras. Then we have Sir Loras Tyrell, the flower knight. <laughs> what a what a nice name, right? The knight of the flowers. Right. That's the sigil of his house. And he gives Sansa a rose, right? See, now this is important. Or well, it's, it's rather it's not that important in this instance, but in every tournament, when like when a knight gives a, a a fair maiden the flower, it's a significant gesture. Right, it's what set off the whole rebellion in the first place, wasn't it? Well, it, it didn't necessarily set off the rebellion, but Rhaegar in, at the tourney in Harrenhal uh, gave it's it's called the Rose of of Love. He's crowning her the Queen of Love and Beauty, is what it, the, right what they'll call it. Um, Rhaegar chose to give Lyanna the rose instead of his wife Elia, who was there. Oof. And that was a big, big deal. <laughs> well, that'd be a big deal now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Someone, if you're at some event with your wife and you gave some other chick some flowers, yeah, that's probably not going to go well. I don't know if it'd start off a whole, you know, rebellion, uh, but you know, it would maybe start the beginning of a divorce. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is actually kind of exciting. It's like it's because the first time we get to see the mountain lose. Um, so yeah, like I said, we already mentioned that he loses, um, Littlefinger and Renly had a like little bet, right? Uh, was it a hundred gold dragons? I think it was for, uh, sounds right. yeah, on the mountain. Um, and <laughs> obviously Littlefinger loses and calls out Renly for his, like his secret friend basically. And we don't know what that means until later in the episode. In fact, like much later in the episode. Um, but of course we know that Renly and Loris are having an affair or something. What would you call it? Like a secret romance, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, like, exactly that. It's just like homosexuality is is, is still kind of uh, frowned upon in, in Westeros, right? Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is there. It's not, It's well, it's against the the the, the seven, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's the, it's from a religious perspective. I think you know, outside of outside of those who worship the seven, I don't think anyone really cares. That's the perspective I get, right? Like in the out in like in Essos, it doesn't seem like anyone gives a crap. Um, they don't care in Dorne, right? Yeah. So they definitely care in the north and uh, the Iron Islands. Yeah, but, and they're probably more severe out there. But yeah, but they're just more severe in general. Mm-hmm. So. The mountain loses. He lo- he flips his lid, kills his horse. Um, is it in the books? He's supposed to chop the head off with one swipe. Is that how? That's yeah. What, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it's not. It's not how quite how that goes in the, in in the show, because that'd be. I think that'd be difficult to do. 
Um, and then he tries to kill Loras. The hound jumps in to protect him. What is the hound's actual job at this point? He's Joffrey's personal bodyguard. Okay, interesting. And so why is it, wait, wait, why is it not one of the gold cloaks? Because, I mean, they probably should have reacted faster. They just didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's important to note that at this point in history, the Kingsguard, yeah. oh, you meant the gold cloaks, like the city watch. Well, yeah, yeah. They, none of them could withstand the mountain. I think they'd all be terrified of the mountain. Yeah, yeah. But um, the Kingsguard, the yeah. white cloaks, yeah. um, one of them definitely should have done something, right? Because this is against the King's Peace. Yeah. But other than Jamie and Sir Barristan, probably Sir Eris Oakhart, the rest of them are, are, are kind of just like okay fighters like none of them would be able to withstand oh, them out what i'm saying is like, what i don't why is the hound his personal bodyguard and why is it why is why isn't the hound been made a king's guard person right knight well he he eventually does become a member of joffrey's king's guard right that's right. when joffrey's crown king um other than that like that the the clegane family is very closely tied to the lannister family uh tywin's father is the one who brought them to lordship after the, the, their sigil is three dogs because um, Tywin's father was attacked by wolves and Clegane was the, the, the kennel master. And then he had his three dogs, you know, saved okay. Tytos' life. That's what why they got a lordship. So they're really closely tied to the Lannisters. I see. All right. I actually didn't know that. That's a new one for me. Um, and that's in the book or is that from like one of the like the other side stories or short stories? Well, it's in the books. Okay. Um. Then there's like the quick sword fight between the hound and and the mountain, and it's is there, it's I can't put my finger on it, but something about that sword fight feels like cheap slash boring, <laughs> like you know what I mean? I don't know, or like poorly choreographed. I don't know what what about it, but it's like it's like the first major sword fight that we like that we get really uh, mm-hmm. that like that's like has real any quote unquote stakes, and it's like super slow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think know. the choreography was kind of suffering early on in the show like definitely later seasons we get some insane sword fights right well yeah you think of well obviously the flashback to the tower of joy is the one that stands out that or or the mountain and the viper yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um i don't know like i don't know much about it everyone always assumes though like to 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 fight with those giant broadswords would be kind of slower yeah than you think right like they're heavy pieces of steel that you're swinging around it's true, and it's I guess we, we did see a ver- like a different variation of sword fighting with like uh, with the water dancing with Arya, right? That's a but yeah. that's a different style. That makes sense. Uh, all right, so let's cut to Cat and Tyrion, and now there, we're on the road to the Eyrie. You mentioned this last week that they, you know, that Cat had told everyone. I think she says often and loudly that they were on their way to Winterfell, and it was all a ruse so that those who are looking to get the reward for, you know, taking back Tyrion would, wouldn't be able to find them, that they're, they're looking in the wrong place. Um, we also get the first, I think this is the first time we hear that a Lannister always pays his debts line. I'm pretty sure. Uh, from Tyrion. Um, and Bronn's more involved here. So what, here's a question. Why is Bronn even here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, well, Okay. He's an opportunist, I guess is the the, sure. the short answer. Yeah, he sees an opportunity. He gave Tyrion his bed. He's just a he's a like at this point he's a, a sellsword, like a wandering hedge knight. So he's not even a hedge knight. He's just a just a dude that kind of just goes around. So who? Um, yeah, so did, like, did Cat hire him to come like protect 
the like how's it what's going on here like why why is he actually here other than because the script says so well the thing is um when cat went south she took sir roderick and i think in the show that's all she has like they don't have any personal guards yeah so i guess a couple of those knights that drew swords for her would have either accompanied her or sent some of their men but it was kind of like, you know, if, if you feel like coming, you can just come along. So both Braun and that singer, Marillion, I think they both accompanied Catelyn and Tyrion right. North or to Eerie. That stupid singer. Can yeah. we stop talking about him? I don't, I don't care about that guy. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, uh, Tyrion figures out pretty quick where they are and where they're headed because uh, he's smart like that. And he, t- he tries to have warned Cat that his, her sister's not quite as... Um, sound sound minded as she used yeah, to be stable yeah yeah um he also tries to explain himself like what, what kind of does he say what kind of imbecile would arm uh an assassin with his own blade right uh which is it makes a lot of sense right that's a fair point yeah he's like oh i'm sorry am i starting to make sense uh obviously again he's still getting all the best lines um what do you think that cat? Do you think she like? Did she think she listened to that? Do you think she's like? She's like saying, mm, that does kind of make sense." Or she? And, but like, I'm kind of too far gone to to turn back now. Or what do you like? You know, what do you yeah, think she thinks she's, there? She's made her move. She kind of has to commit to it now. Um, and, and like, there's no yeah, there's no way out of it. They have to follow through and at least make it to the eerie and then figure things out. Because she right. still doesn't trust him. It's just yeah. she has no other leads. It's just a. It's such a like impulsive move to to capture Tyrion, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way things – we keep saying back then. That's the way things worked back then. It's just like there's more conjecture. It's more like, well, he looked like this, so he must be guilty. Well, you know, that wouldn't yeah. fly in today's course, but – What I'm saying is like if you really felt like Tyrion was responsible, right, the smart move would be to wait till you like – you were in a stronger position, right? Because look at the, look at the, by taking him, you got to know that it's that word of that is going to reach the capital really fast. That obviously puts Ned in a very precarious situation, right? It ties his hands. In fact, he has to take he actually takes responsibility for it later in the episode, right? Yeah. So she she was she was thinking purely. It was a, it's an entirely selfish move. Well, she, again, she didn't feel like she had a choice. You know, they, they met at the end of the crossroads, but they were going in opposite directions. She was heading back north. He was heading towards King's Landing. If she had let him go there, they, that would have been it. Plus, she kind of felt threatened because she thinks the Lannisters are after their family, and he noticed her absence at Winterfell. So she just, you know, did what she could with the information she had. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to defend that decision, especially when we know what it leads to. So I, I, I don't think I don't think there really is a way to defend it. If you if you're being smart, you would go about it a different way. I think. Anyway, doesn't matter. They're on the road to Erie. And um, the Hill Tribes attack, right? It's a Hill Tribe of some kind, it sounds like. Looks yeah. like it. Yeah. And actually, Tyrion saves Cat, and he's pretty capable with that shield that he like beats that guy up with. And he doesn't get any credit for it. So not only does he explain himself, he also saves Cat's life. Um, again, no credit. He gets no credit for that, right? Because he's also saving his own life. Yeah, I guess suppose. If she dies, he dies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I guess at the same time, though, it's still it's still a, a move. It's still a good move, right? Absolutely. No, absolutely. I, 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 we're all on Tyrion's side here, but 
that's that's I'm I'm saying that's how they perspe- perceive it. That's why he doesn't. It's like he's still a prisoner. That's why he yeah. still faces a trial and all that stuff. Also, who knew he was so capable with like violence? <laughs> right. Well, I think when you you know back when your back's up against a wall, I don't know if everyone would be. I guess I shouldn't say that, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think Sam would be. <laughs> Although we do see he yeah he kind of does eventually yeah eventually right. So we also get Bronze first line right. Which is like he's talking about nothing like nothing like a woman after a fight, um, which is kind of like the beginning of a friendship between him and uh, Tyrion. And uh, anything else we should say about the Hill Tribe attack? Lots of people died. No, they're just a bunch of barbarians, essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. What? So I'm I'm confused. So why are people so concerned about wildlings when you have crazy people like this running around in the Riverlands? <laughs> um, well, they're they're not in the Riverlands. Like they're 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 probably at the border of the the Vale of Arryn okay. between the Vale of Arryn and the Crownlands. Um, <clears throat> they're they're they are very much like the Wildlings. They were kind of outcasts from society. They're they're descended from the like the men of the North, the first men, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, when the Andals came, they introduced the faith of the Seven to the Vale of Arryn, and they they either you know killed all these people or, or you know took over their castles or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they, they like just a, good a, a smaller number. Was that nothing like a good crusade? <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it worked. But yeah, there's just uh, much fewer of them than the, there are wildlings. They don't really threaten anybody other than the Knights of the Vale, right. and they're severely outmatched by them. Okay. So we then hop over to Bran at school with Maester Lewin, and we're learning about the different houses. And I just want to point out that this is an example of exposition without the sex part. Yeah, right? absolutely. And it's so can, and it world can building. Be helps you. It, there's literally a map there so you can kind of understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he goes through like a couple of them. I think it starts with uh, who do they start with? The Greyjoys, right? And then they go through a couple other ones. Um, we get to the part where he asks him about the the Lannister words, right? And he it's a quick call back to what Tyrion just said. So it makes sense at first, right? But then we learn that it's not actually their real words. It's hear me roar, which is actually not that exciting. It's a pretty, they're actually not, like, a Lannister always pays his debts. It's actually almost better <laughs> than hear me roar, you know? I don't know. Like, in my mind, the words have to kind of relate to the sigil, the lion. Really? A Lannister always pays his debts is something that came around much Fa- later. Family, duty, honor. How does that relate to It doesn't fish? really, I guess. <laughs> I was thinking more of like their words are pretty boring and then the um, the Tyrell words are kind of boring. It's growing strong and there are rose because, you know, roses grow. Yeah, no, it, that's, it, growing strong looks like something you would put on like an inspirational poster with like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It would be a picture uh, of a probably rose. Probably of a rose. <laughs> exactly. Like a tree. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, like a big, like one of those... Um, what are those ones that like in San Francisco? Those big giant trees, big redwoods. Yeah, redwood forest. That's the one. Uh, anyway, yeah. Why don't they have like a giant tree on their as, as their sigil? Because they like flowers, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just more imposing if you put a giant tree. I think. Hey, did you ever play the Game of Thrones um, uh, game? The the Telltale game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they introduce a house in that one that's like all about wood, right? The hardwoods or something like that. Uh, like the stone yeah, woods. I think it's white wood. Yeah, uh, I think I think their sigil's a tree. So, uh, but that's like a northern house. But 
That's neither here nor there. Ironwood. Ironwood. Is mm, that's it. That's it. And they have, they're known for their strong wood. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Bran is annoyed, right? He goes, he, I like when he's like, okay, try again. Like, what is this? It's this, it's this. And then he, he goes like, family, duty, honors. Like, you know that that's your mom's words. He's like, yeah, well, then where is she? It's, it's a pretty smart, clever little game he pulls on Lewin, hey? Yeah, and I think Mason Lewin in that scene recognizes. He says, you're too smart for your own good or something to that effect. Why? Because he says because after he's like, your mom will be home soon, I promise. He's like, well, do you know where she is right now? Well, no. Well, how can you promise anything? <laughs> right? Fair. He, right now, Bran is an angry, smart little boy. <laughs> and he looks super young. It's crazy how fast he went from looking super young to not looking super young. Like, I think it's like after this next season, it's he, he's all of a sudden he looks like a 30 year old man. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. He just kind of like he looks the same, but just like someone put him in Microsoft Paint and just like <laughs> elongated him. You know? it's, it's true. He has a really <laughs> round face. And then like later, it's like his face changes completely different shape. It's weird. It's like they recast. It, it was almost like they recast Bran with a new person, but it was the same guy. Um, and also get a little shout out to the prowess of Dothraki uh, horseback archery from Lewin. And it's kind of fun because obviously we we get to see that in action in season seven, right? Uh, which is a pretty epic scene when they all stand up on the back of their horses and shoot uh, and shoot arrows. Mm-hmm. Again, at the the worst name that has the worst name for a battle, but has is probably one of the coolest battles on the show ever, which is the loot train battle from season seven. And it's they talk about the Dothraki's being good at, on, on horseback, but the way that they execute it, it was like only talked about when they were actually building that scene in season seven, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, anything else we want to say about that? This whole Theon, Theon's also good with the bow. That's the like a small little bit of foreshadowing, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. <clears throat> he he loves his longbow. That's all. That's 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 it. That's that's all that's trying to that that scene's trying to say about Theon. And he likes to brag a lot. That's that's always been a part of his character. Yeah. So let's cut then to Theon. Now that you mentioned him and Roz and. This isn't even sex position. This is just sex, which is fine. Yeah. yeah. And they're kind of chatting and uh, kind of there's a brief mention of like the Greyjoy's position in Westeros, uh, the kind of their stature, their yeah, history. Or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, and I have to point out that these two people in the scene, both entirely naked, super fit. The abs, like there is like <laughs> so many abs like Roz has like six six pack, <laughs> and so does Theon. I mean, they all look they look a lot worse later in the show, from a, from like the sense that literally Theon is tortured and Roz is mm-hmm. killed. But <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, also, Roz gets a pretty sick line where Theon's like, "I don't want to pay for it," and Roz is like, "Well, get a wife then." <laughs> uh, which is a Love sick it. burn. Anything else we should say about this scene? There's not much to say. Not much to say about it other than the fact that, uh, well, it's just Tyrion's a better tipper, I guess, is, is her, uh, her line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we cut to Arya chasing cats, uh, and that's it. <laughs> that's literally, that's it. It was a very, like, it's like 
it's like a 10 second shot of Arya running down a hallway with chasing a cat. And then we have Ned and Varys. And there's a quick chat about Bran and his condition um, with a great answer from Varys about how, uh, about doors opening and closing. You know, like, you know, he might never be able to lose his, use his legs, but that might open another door for him somewhere else, which, again, I think is a nice kind of foreshadowing thing because it does. To, yeah, to use his mind, essentially. Yeah. Also, the door, like, the you could just say, like, the door itself is pretty symbolic of <laughs> of brands, so that's pretty interesting. But I don't think that's that's probably not what um, they're talking about there. Um, either way, it's a lot of symbolism. I like it. I think it's a, it's a very brief chat, but it's nice. And then they get down to business. And you think this is another one of those feeling out processes or has he already felt them out and he's already, it's funny. <laughs> so he felt them <laughs> up and then, and now he trusts him enough to give him secret information. I think that's, it's hard to say whether or not that's true, but that's definitely the impression that Varys is giving Ned. Yeah. Is that he's been spending the last couple of weeks to a month or whatever. Studying him. Studying him, figuring him out. And now he's ready to have a straight up chat with him. Right. And and to be fair, he is mostly honest with him. He just doesn't tell him the whole truth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells that he tells him that Robert's in danger, which is true. He mess, he also talks about the tears of lease, uh, which is what killed John Aaron. Um, but he also points him down the whole pa- the, down the path of the Sir Hugh thing again, <laughs> right? But I mean, maybe is is Varys maybe even not fully up to speed on that like he doesn't even know what probably happened right probably not yeah yeah he has his suspicions and sir hugh is obviously the most suspicious character in that yeah uh little play um and then he there's a very auspicious ending to the conversation where he says that uh you know like ned's like well then why did he kill him if everyone ever liked him so much why did he die because john aaron started asking questions right the same questions ned's now asking exactly the implication We cut back now to Arya chasing a cat again, uh, and she falls it into the depths, like into the dungeons uh, by the dragon skulls, which, by the way, look a lot different than the dragon skulls do in season seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just saying. In fact, they don't even look like skulls at all. It just looks like rocks. And um, Arya overhears Varys and, is it Olerio? That's his name, right? Illyrio, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk Guimero de Gil, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo. Guillermo. You got to show that art. I'm saying it. Guillermo, right? Yeah, that was the good. The future director of a Bioshock movie. Anyway, uh, Olerio, talking about Ned um, and their kind of their schemes. It's actually a pretty interesting portion because it's only a piece of a conversation, like they're walking by, at, that you get here. So a couple of choice quotes. Um Alirio says, if one hand can die, why not another? So I don't, is that consistent with what we know actually happened, right? It sounds like he, they had already, pl- that they had plotted to kill one hand already. That's the, that's what it sounds like. That's what right? it sounds like. But it also could be, they know that uh, John Aaron was poisoned. They know that something happened, that he was taken out. They don't necessarily have all the details. And they're like, well, if they can do it, why can't we? Because we have our own plans. Right. Okay. Um, Another choice quote is, we'll be at war soon, um, which we know is true. But then they also say, we're not ready, which is also true, talking about um, the state of the Dothraki army and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think they say they explicitly say that Drogo won't ride until his son is born. Exactly, which 
in this timeline of the show could be next week for all we know. In fact, <coughs> it, yeah. like it's it's not next week, but like the week after. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't. And then we also get one more line quote. It's no longer a game for just two players. Well, I think um, Olero said that as well. And then Varus is like, yeah, it, has, it hasn't been two players. <laughs> it's like, kind of like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah, there's lots of moving pieces. Yeah. Who else? So who, if, he, if that's what he's talking about, then who do you think they're talking about bringing into the fold? Like who else can they bring into their, onto their side? Um, I, would, I would assume my, my first assumption would be Dorn would be. Right, uh, okay. the Martels, yeah, yeah, Doran right. who probably was complicit in a lot of this stuff, and that just never comes to fruition, unfortunately. Right, because they totally botched the whole Doran yeah. storyline. Yeah, yeah, totally, absolutely dropped the ball on that. <laughs> um, anything else we should say about this? I, th- I just, I think it's really interesting. Um, it obviously, Arya kind of recounts the this this tale to ned but like in a really terrible fashion like yeah because she doesn't have she has no idea what they're talking <laughs> yeah about. it's like she's like something about something and then like this guy said this and then one of them was fat <laughs> and that's i think it's interesting had. like i'm sure when i first watched it i didn't fully understand the implications of, of this but it's, it's a pretty far-reaching conspiracy well i don't know who the two players would have been in his mind probably the two like, of them the targaryens right. and the rest of westeros i thought i i thought they meant the two of them like him and I <laughs> that's what I. That's how I interpret it. Oh, that, normally, when know. someone says it's a game for two players, like, I assume it's like a one versus one, not two players on the same team. Uh, game. No, I know, but I, I think it's like a co-op game, Dan. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I don't. know. Oh, Occam's Razor. I just assume that like that there's two of them talking, and they're talking about they need to kind of expand the fold, so yeah. further yeah. than the two of them. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's just, it's just, you say it's a far reaching conspiracy. It, it seems like there's multiple conspiracies happening here. But at the time of this, of this, this first uh, season and what we're watching, like from what we know at the time, it's, it looks like one big conspiracy and really it's multiple conspiracies f- like that are happening independently of one another, you know? Yeah. Because uh, this early in the series, it does seem like there's just, they're basically just the, like two factions, you right. know? And then everything gets split up and split, and everybody has their own agendas. Mm-hmm. So we go to uh, Varus and Littlefinger, and this is the first of a series of some of our favorite scenes, right? The Varus Littlefinger uh, throne room scenes. I don't. Did we have any before this? I don't. Remember, I don't think so. Right? There's they're like scheming and sparring. Right, but do I, this is the first like large conversation they've actually had. Yeah. Right. Um, and nothing is even really said here until the end of the conversation. They're really just, like you said, verbally sparring, jousting. You get, you know, get it? They're jousting, but yeah. like differently. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Varus threatens Littlefinger over helping the Starks. He's like, "Well, you know, if you help, if anyone knew you were helping the Starks, you know, ooh, that can go, that would make go bad for you." And Littlefinger knows. He's like, he retorts, kind of like, "Well, I know enough about what you're doing, and you know, you're." I think he calls him a uh, foreign dignitary. Um, and it's basically mutually self-assured destruction, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So they're both still somewhat valuable to one another mm-hmm. in terms of information gathering, in terms of spy, like spies on spies on spies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of like a real world analogy to that, and I can't really think of one. But um, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't no, I can't. I can't really think. I can't really think of. One. I'm trying. I want to think the Cold War. It's kind of like a Cold War, right? 
but not really. I don't know. But neither one of them at this point are representing a superpower. They're just they're doing their own thing, right? Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> so anyway, Renly interrupts them uh, about a like uh, an emergency small council meeting, right? We cut back to Arya, and she is. Oh, what what happened? What happened there? Sorry, I lost my spot. We cut back to Arya, and she's kind of leaving the the gate. Like she's she's it's like it looks like a drainage tunnel <laughs> or something, right? Um, yeah, there's there's a million di- different tunnels underneath the, yeah. the Red Keep, and Arya found her way out, which most people wouldn't be able to do. And then she she walks back up to the Red Keep, and she comes to the gate. And how much I completely forgot about the scene when we talked about the one in season seven, right, where she arrives at Winterfell. It's almost it's not like it's not word for word, but it's like shot for shot, almost identical, yeah. right? Two two guards at the gate, Arya being mistaken for. Does she get mistaken for a guy again as well? I don't remember season in season seven if she does. I think she I think she does. She might. Because <laughs> I think she gets mistaken for a boy like twice in this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so she gets, she convinces them pretty hilariously to let her in. She goes to see her dad who's upset um, that they couldn't find her and recounts the story. We talked about that. Um, Oren arrives to get Yorin. What did I say? Oren. Yorin. You know what I meant. Yorin, the wandering crow. And he arrives to get recruits for the Night's Watch, but also brings word of Kat's uh, capture of Tyrion, right? Uh, yeah, so he rode through yeah. the night. Like, he, he just, he didn't sleep. He just went straight from the crossroads to King's Landing. Because he, he knew this was a big deal. He's like, I need to tell Ned, <laughs> right? And, it, and, like, imagine if he hadn't, right? Yeah. Well, it doesn't, did it really change anything? Because he was—he wanted to talk to Robert before, like before everything got out of hand, but he never got a chance to. No, but at least now Ned had the opportunity to decide that he's going to, you know, claim responsibility. Like he, I don't know, he would have been more taken aback. I don't know what would have happened. I, it might have gone, it might have actually gone better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it does let him, he does make the decision that they're going to, well, right after, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But after the small council meeting, when he like gives up his handship, that he uh, like decides to leave, right? Um, I guess obviously what his wife did plays a role in that as well, right? Although yeah. we'll get to that. It's a dumb move. It's a dumb move on Ned's part. So at this point, let's take a break and we'll get right back into it. So we're back to talking about the cruise. And obviously, if you've been following along, you know that we're excited to talk about it. We've been talking about it every week since episode one when we revealed the whole thing that we were going to be going on this Game of Thrones cruise. And we want you to be a part of it. Okay, so if you don't know the details, I'm just going to quickly go over them again for you. Um, It's called the Cruise of Thrones. We're teaming up with Royal Caribbean Cruise Planners and Dalmatian Travel Events. Those are the big names involved. It's two different cruises, the North Cruise and the South Cruise. Those are 12 days each. We're going to be talking about uh, more of the Northern Cruise uh, this week. I think it's the last time we'll be talking about the northern part. We'll be skipping. We're going over to the southern part next uh, next week. And like I said, they're 12 days each, or you can do one 24-night uh, full whole known world uh, experience, okay? Um, there's going to be Game of Thrones experiences on the ship. We're involved in that. Uh, we haven't, uh, we don't know. We're not yet revealing what we're doing yet, okay? We'll put it that way. Um, if you register before March 15th, and this is important because 
this if if all things go as planned, this show be should be coming out on like the thirteenth of March. So it only gives you like last chance another couple days tops to get in and reserve your spot at cruiseofthrones.com. And it's it should be clear that's a last chance for the for the credit. You can still yeah. reserve a spot after the fifteenth. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Yes, that is very important. But if you do before March fifteenth, you do get one hundred fifty dollars credit towards onboard activities. So if you want to buy us a drink because we've been talking about how we like to spend that money in the bar, we'll probably spend yeah, see, it by that's then probably already. the best way you could use your money. Let's <laughs> yeah, go with that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, you can do that at uh, by signing up before March fifteenth. Okay. But again, those that one hundred fifty dollars can be used towards anything on the ship. All right. Now let's talk about the last couple of locations that we might be able to see while we're in Northern Ireland. We talked about Iceland um, way back in episode one. Thing is, though, um, there's no there's not as many specific locations there because it's kind of just all about the wilderness, which to me is awesome, right? But this gives us a whole list of nice locations that we be able to see. Yeah, if I'm sure there'll be yeah. there'll be um, tours offered in Iceland as well. Like we're stopping in two different cities in Iceland. There'll be plenty to do. It's just yeah. it just seems like we've skipped over that. But I yeah. just want to reiterate how like I said it was my favorite location to go to. I might I might be coming down like coming off that a bit and thinking that Belfast might be the uh, my favorite location just because of how central it is to everything Game of Thrones. But we'll see. I won't be able to know until I've done it. Right. I mean. I kind of feel like as we keep talking about different locations, every episode I'm like, well, this I'm more excited for this because yeah, well, like, it's just what's in front of my face. You know, like it's all exciting. <laughs> I go, well, I thought I said this, but fuck that idiot version from me from before. <laughs> this yeah. one's the one this time, this one. All right. So, uh, episode five is the one we're talking about this week, but I don't know if there's any specific locations. I, I don't, I don't think so from this week. Um, that we're going to talk about. But, well, because this week is mostly in King's Landing, which is filmed in Dubrovnik. That'll be part of the Southern Cruise. Yes. Um, now, so we'll just, again, talking about some Northern Ireland locations. Myra Castle, Strongford, location, and if you haven't been paying attention for the couple past weeks, I've been reading from the Game of Thrones wiki. Um, so Myra Castle, Strongford, location of the Dreadforts exterior, which is, of course, where the Boltons are, uh, which first appeared on screen in Season 4, so that's a ways off from now. Um, Myra Castle is located just west of Castle Ward. So we talked about that in a previous episode. I actually kind of like the I, – I've always liked the the look of dread, of the Dreadfort. I always thought it was super ominous and um, like the, the almost the swamplands around it. I don't know how much of that is, is real. But um, the way that they always presented the Dreadfort was was like it seemed like no wonder the Boltons were so angry all the time. You know? Yeah, so like it is it is part of the north, but it does feel distinct in that like it's like a deep dark forest. Mm-hmm. Whereas like around Winterfell is more like sweeping plains. Yeah. There's also Inch Abbey, which is presumably larger than an inch, where Caitlin uh Catelyn, sorry, and Rob Stark first hear of Eddard's death. So that's actually pretty dark. Um this abbey actually is a really like picturesque location. Um, it's also the camp where Rob's bannerman declare him the king in the north. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty like important location, <laughs> I'd say at least for story moments. Um, and it's, it's like really nice looking. Uh, there's also St. Field Estates. Uh, other shots of Rob Stark's army camped, uh, our army camp are filmed here. Uh, the Rolane, Rolane Gardens were also location of Winterfell's sacred Godswood. 
I think right. I might be most excited for that now that I think about it. Right, right. And, and it, it feels God's would. And it's I mean, it probably won't be decked out with the snow and stuff like that, but it'll still look amazing. Well, it might look more like it did in season one, the one we're watching, where it's like all green and, and, and lush, yeah. right? And, and you would hope someone was, you know, intelligent enough to put up a hard tree there. You'd think. But it's also on, it's it's a St. Field Estates. It's like, it's it seems like it's uh, private land, so. Yeah, but come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but like, come, I mean, what are you doing? Right. There's also the Cushenden Caves. Um, this is the cave underneath Renly's camp by the coast where Melisandre gives birth to her shadow creature. I'm not going to get into the problematic um, existence of the shadow creature and what its existence on the show is means because we've talked about that on the show before. It is <laughs> problematic, like I said. But the location is cool and it's in Northern Ireland. Anything else you want to say about... Um, well, any of the northern portion of the cruise before we move to the southern portion next week. Yeah, no, I'm 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 just jacked for it all. Like I can't wait. I don't know why caves are so interesting to people, but caves are really cool to me. Like, the Cushion and Caves maybe, sound really. Maybe cool it's like me. something like ingrained in our like our our DNA because it's kind of like where yeah, we, it's like it's like a different environment. I don't know. It's no, it's know. like it it it, it mean, it's like shelter, right? But it, it's not. It's but it's like naturally created. Yeah, we yeah, kind yeah. Of, we kind of came from caves, right? You know what I mean. Maybe that's oh, because we were cavemen. Right. Exactly. Oh. You might have heard that term before. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, that's the northern part of the cruise. The southern part is obviously a lot warmer, but um, it's going to have a lot of other locations like uh, Croatia, which is something I'm really excited for as well. And we'll talk about that starting next week. All right, so we're back and we're talking about Kat, and she's just reached the Erie, and she's greeted by one of the Knights of the Vale questioning why Tyrion is even with her, right? Fair. Fair enough, yeah. Um, yeah. Sir Egan. So is he? Is that, is that name important in any way? Uh, no, not at all. Okay. It, like, he, he's the guy who duels Bronn when Tyrion requests a trial by combat. Okay, and then dies. And then dies, and then never, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't even reckon, like, his family name, I don't think is ever really important later on either. Okay. Uh, and then... Braun has the one of probably the best lines of the entire series, never mind just the season, right? Where he talks about, or you know, impregnating, <laughs> impregnating it. What do you say? Give me ten good men with climbing spikes, right? And I'll impregnate the bitch. Yeah, it's so weird how they like. So when Martin writes, he's very specific about his choice of words, right? Sure. I, I was uh, one of our previous episodes. I was telling you how they always called uh, Dunk, like Sir Duncan. Dunk the lung thick as a castle wall, and then the the people that maybe um, his like his you know great grandchildren or whatever they also are referred to as thick as a castle wall often, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like a little hint, a little Easter egg. So like anytime someone's talking about the eerie, the word that is thrown out specifically is impregnable. Not right. okay. Like there's plenty of synonyms, you know what I mean? But they choose that word, and I, I don't know if it'll ever actually mean anything in the series but i'm sure it will in the books the idea that it could be that it would be pregnable yeah <laughs> right okay uh yeah i guess like if someone was having a taking a last stand somewhere that would be the way you'd want to do it right and then mm-hmm. yeah they, they think they're safe and then they're not right okay because it's not if there's a dragon involved right yeah or it could just be a more like nuanced way to interpret that is that little finger weasels his weight like he impregnates it like he mm, i guess he takes yeah. it over 
um, without the use of force. Was Harrenhal ever considered impregnable? Um, no, they wouldn't have used that that term. Harrenhal was is the largest castle ever built. Right. Can't remember. The, the, there is a specific term they use with it as well when Heron the Black first built it. But I don't remember it off the top of my head. Okay. Anywho. Um, that's it. That's the scene. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> so we go back to the small council meeting and Ned is called uh, to the meeting. He's He's looking to talk to Robert. Things could have gone a lot more differently if he was able to talk to Robert before this all went down, right? And this is where I talk about where Ned, I think he makes a pretty poor strategic decision here, okay? So he is brought to the small council meeting, and Robert's there. He's never had a small council meeting, right? And Robert has learned that Danny is pregnant, and Ned has principles. He's got scruples. He doesn't like the idea of killing uh, a, a girl and her unborn child. Yeah, Robert, I think that's yeah. reasonable. Yeah, Robert doesn't care. He's like, you know, you know, he wants them dead, right? Ned cautions him that it would be uh, dishonorable. It would dishonor you, right? And that there's no honor uh, in keeping peace, um, you know, that way, yeah, right? Um, Varys reveals that it is Jora that is their advisor to the Targaryens. We already knew that, right? I like that he called. I, li- I like actually the term "advisor to the Targaryens" is like a like Jora has like a business card. He doesn't say spy, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then they get into a whole big argument over you know Jora's honor, right? Like, are we going to believe Jora? He was you know like you know he was a traitor, and then I think. Littlefinger says that he was not a traitor, he was a slaver. There's a slight difference, right? Um, I, what I like is that basically everyone has um, sound arguments here. And they all, they all have like a different perspective, but they're, it's all the same. Yeah. The ends justify the means sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Varys argues that exactly the ends justify the means, um, that whatever is good for the realm in the long term is the right decision, Right. He's always been he, like that's his. If he had his own house words, it's what's good for the realm, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and it's confusing because he argues that he that they that she in fact should be killed, but we know that he's conspiring to overthrow Robert with a a Targaryen new Targaryen king. Does he actually want her dead, or does he have not? He doesn't have the position to argue against it. I would say it's more the latter. Like he, he can't be seen to to not give prudent advice, right? And that the, the all of them at the small council for the longest time have been very Machiavellian in their approach, and they just would rather, again, ends justify the means. He can't not look that way. Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, Picel argues that no innocence should die. Like so, actually, Picel's argument is actually the the probably the best one, which is weird and <laughs> not normally the case right but he says listen if we let her live and we get an invasion from a foreign army right how many innocent people are going to die right is it's the is you know is the life of one worth more than the lives of many right that old argument that's a that's a difficult ethical place to be in because it's a lot of what ifs the, it's yeah, a lot of hypotheticals yeah. the trolley argument yeah. <laughs> Thank you. The good place. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I don't. I just. This is one of the best scenes. This is probably the best scene in the in the whole episode, right? Sure. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's probably great. And 
obviously this is this is Ned's kind of uh, this is his hill to die on, right? He he will he'll be no party to the murder of a of an innocent child, right? Yeah, to to infanticide. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't please don't use that word. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I, it uh, is. Yeah, but no. Uh, <laughs> Robert gets a little pissy, right? He basically commands more him, than a little. Yeah. yeah, he commands him to 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 go, you know, go through with it. Ned, you know, like I said, he takes off the badge, right? He he hand, he basically hands in his badge and gun, right? And he walks out and Robert's like shouting. Actually, it's pretty, I actually love the shot of him like marching out and you can hear Robert screaming at him like in the, in the background. I think it's amazing. And this is where I talk about the strategic error, right? So what, what information does Robert know already, right? He knows that uh, his wife took Tyrion hostage, right? And he's surrounded by Lannisters in power, right? I mean, Ned knows this. What did I say? Said Robert, so for yes, some reason. Ned, Ned knows that, right? Ned um, is in the middle of an investigation trying to um, figure out who poisoned John Aaron, right? These are two pretty, he, I think those are two pretty important things, right? And the safety of his family like lies heavily uh, in those two things, right? There's no reason to believe that his daughters wouldn't be taken hostage if he knew, if they if the, once the Lannisters found out that Tyrion was captured, right? Yes. That's why so, he's preparing to, I think he already was leave, preparing to send them right. to Winterfell. But, but he gives up his only leverage. His leverage was that he was the hand of the king and he had a pretty, that's a pretty significant title to hold, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even Jamie brings it up later at the end of the episode where like, you know, you're not the hand of the king anymore, right? I can do with you what I want. Um, you essentially you just kidnapped one like committed an act of war <laughs> against our family and now you have no you have no standing with the you know with with, uh, with the crown with the crown right so yeah. great job by the way S- real smart move there i yeah no you're right i mean it was probably a more passionate move than than strategic on ned's part he was trying to make a point and stand up to Robert being the only one that could. I think also like that almost immediately after this scene, they're packing for Winterfell. Like he's planning on leaving right away and Littlefinger convinces him to follow him for one more piece of evidence. Right. Right. But again, so in Ned's mind, he's, he's, you know, handing in his badge and his gun and then he's getting out of Dodge. Yeah. And, and that's it. Littlefinger convincing him to stay is literally what dooms him. Yes. Right. And cause Ned wants to get out of there ASAP. He's like, go get the girls. We're leaving. Like, Go out ahead of me. Get them out. I'll follow. Right, and it makes sense. But what about Littlefinger's little tease is enough to convince you to stay in the capital? It's just such a bet. It's such a poor strategic move. Yeah. Right. Like, is is who killed John Aaron really that important right now? When you know, well, it's because I think Ned thought he was getting close. He was finding breadcrumbs, and I don't think he perceives himself to be in as much danger as he find out that he's he is. leaving. He tells the girls that they need to leave immediately. Yeah, but I don't think, like he, like he doesn't think Robert's serious about any of his threats about putting his head on a spike. I don't like, and Robert's still in charge, so he doesn't imagine that he's in any direct danger. No, I suppose. I guess I don't know, but if if you didn't think you're in any direct danger, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't send for the girls to be sent home at the drop of a hat. Like I don't. I don't 
I don't believe I don't I don't subscribe to that. I think he knows yeah. that there he is in danger, right? Yeah, I, think I mean he, he thought he had that. another hour. It was a miscalculation. Yeah, well. Littlefinger, yeah, like he said, Littlefinger comes. He says he's got like one little piece of evidence, uh, convinces him to stay, and uh, and then that's it. That's basically that's the last of of investigator Ned, which is my favorite version of Ned. And uh, then we cut back to the Eerie, and Lysa is insane. <laughs> we the first shot of her is she's breastfeeding a full grown boy. I remember when I saw that the first time, I was literally like flabbergasted i was like <laughs> what is happening right now I, I, I was like what show am i watching um i love that they call back to the seed is strong line and completely taken out of uh context right can be implied i guess to anything she thinks that yeah. it means that robin is going to be grow up to be some strong leader um and she's also grieving she's a little distraught a more little? than a little distraught <laughs> yeah i think more than a little and she accuses I the craziest part is she accuses Tyrion of killing John Aaron. Like that, he's like he's like he's like what? That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> yeah, she's uh it's just the Lannister's a Lannister. Right. They're all guilty. So before the like the whole before we get to like the season one, right, episode one, what is the perception of the Lannisters uh before the rebellion, you know, all that kind of stuff? How what was their standing? Like they had lots of money, that was it. But they were they no one had any respect for them. No, uh, no, no. They well, yes, sort of. It's complicated. So yeah, they they've always been a rich house, or rather, they became rich under Tyrant. Like they they always had, you know, the gold mines. That's where a lot of their riches come from, right? Right. So a lot of the people around them are also rich, and then they pay taxes to the Lannisters. Um, Tywin's father, however. It's not that they weren't rich, but he was sort of the laughingstock of everyone around him in that area because he was very generous and he would let the the lesser lords kind of walk all over him. Then mm. when Tywin came into power, he you know you're familiar with the reigns of Castamere, right? Yes. He completely wiped out House Rain and House Castamere. Or sorry, yeah, I think I can't remember the names. House Rain for sure. Yeah. Castamere's name the castle, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it was the reigns of the Tarbex that he that he wiped out. Sorry. Okay. Either way, two houses. And then he kind of like he commanded that sort of respect. So before the rebellion, so while the Bad King was in power, Tywin Lannister was one like was feared and respected, probably the richest man in Westeros. Right. And then they had a, the whole feud between him and Aerys. So during Robert's Rebellion and afterwards, the Lannisters are always regarded as, yeah, rich. Everyone is afraid of Tywin and they're all just a bunch of pop, pompous, spoiled rich kids. Oh, OK. That makes sense. But I guess if that was your perception of them, why would you assume that they're also murderers? <laughs> you know, well, they 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 they're probably the most powerful house in Westeros at this time. So why was there a feud between uh, Tywin and Jon Arryn? There wasn't a feud between Tywin and Jon Arryn. There's a feud between Tywin and Mad King Aerys Targaryen. Ah, uh, okay, yes. And they, like they they were friends growing up, and then they feuded because they both like they both loved the same woman, sort of thing, and and they had. You know, once Eris got into power, he kind of talked down to Tywin, and Tywin proved himself to be the more capable leader and the one that people actually respected more. And then one thing led to another, and they were just kind of. And that's the whole reason Jamie became a member of the Kingsguard. It wasn't because of his prowess, although he is great. It was a political move, right? Okay, to take away Tywin's heir. All right, so we go to where are we? We're going to Loras and Renly, 
Now, this is a really long scene, like longer than I feel like it needs to be because half of it is recapping things we've literally just learned in this episode, like five minutes before. So I thought that was a strange choice because you can yeah. always cut in after they've recapped that <laughs> with the understanding that they know they have. Yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Um, they're shaving. It's a shaving scene. <laughs> and um, first reference, like I think this is the first reference to Stannis. Um I think they start talking about Renly's brothers, right? Yeah. If if it's not the first, it's it's the second, and it's like it's one of those things when you're first watching, it's one of those names, Stannis, Mance Raider, they get thrown out there, and you have no idea, and you just yeah. you can't care, you you don't have to care. There's, this there's really no way you could. There's just no. There's they throw out so many names. There's no way any human being could pick up and under like remember every single one, unless you have one of those crazy brains, you know, mm-hmm. like the. I don't know. There's people, you know, those people who like remember the name of every person they've met. You know, there is a term for it. I don't know what I hear. Yeah. It's like I don't even know how to pronounce. It. It's like idetic memory or something like that. Yeah, does that sound right? That sounds. Did I just make that up? That sounds familiar. Uh, anyway, I, like I said, this whole scene is strange to me. Not, not the whole thing, but the beginning of it is. Once they get to the part where they start talking about the line of succession, that's interesting, right? Because this is where Laura starts kind of whispering in his ear that you know. Stan, you know, Stannis shouldn't be next in line. You should be next in line, right? Um, even though neither of them are technically even, it's kind of like, it's a circular thing. Robert technically has kids, so <laughs> neither yeah. of them are really in line for the throne. And either. at this point, they don't know that those kids aren't Roberts, right? Right. <clears throat> but he is like, I don't, it's so weird because, yeah, uh, Loris is, is sowing the seeds of rebellion in Renly and what people tend to do in the show and the series often is say like their justification for it is, you know, Robert wasn't king until he decided he was, you know, right. he, he rebelled and he, he took it by force. Why can't you do the same thing? Right. And I'll back you, you know, everyone wants to yeah. be like attached to someone who is, who will be in power. Right. Yeah. I mean, war is expensive too. They're going to need the bankroll. Mm-hmm. And he, he's, he's not wrong. Like Renly probably would have been a good king. Everybody does love Renly and he would, you know, he would have been a kind and fair king, I think. But it also splits the house open, right? Because mm-hmm. then you end up having the Baratheons that are in King's Landing, right? You have the ones that are serving Renly, and then you end up having the ones that are serving Stannis. It actually, it totally screws them. It does. It definitely does. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we find and out. all it would take is for Stannis to be like, you know what? I don't want to be king. I'll step down. But he can't allow because that's how it should be. He, right. he has no choice. He's, he's, a very, he's very strict when it comes to the rules. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, listen, I don't even want to be king, but I have to be, you know, it's just the way it has to be. Right. Although he never said, hey, I don't want to be king. He feels like he, 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 no, he does. I'm sure he does at some point next season that like he, t- he doesn't want it, but it's his duty. Right. I don't know if, I don't know if he ever says that. I don't, that doesn't sound familiar to me. Well, something to that effect. He feels like it's his destiny, right? Because, um, what's once Melisandre yeah. has his ear, once she starts whispering in his ear, yeah, he, he, he embraces it. That again, it's not that he wants it. It's that he has to be – she tells him that he's Azura High. Right. right. That that's his destiny, that he has to fulfill his destiny. So he feels compelled or obligated to do it. But it, it's never about what, his, what he actually wants. I don't need, I couldn't tell you what Stannis wants. Yeah, what's he doing right now? Like what's his – what's he doing right at, like at, at this point? Well, he's at Dragonstone. Technically, Stannis is a member of the small council. He's the master of ships. Right. So he's in charge of the Navy, the Royal Navy. But he's out Dragonstone. But he's living at Dragonstone right now because he did sort of feud with Renly and Robert just 
like brothers do sort of thing. And he decided to like, I need some space. So he went back to Dragonstone. Okay. And that's not their traditional like lands, right? They're from... No, Dragonstone is the seat of House Targaryen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. But where are the Baratheons originally from? Well, they're from the Stormlands. So right. Storm's End is the, is their seat. Okay. So and I think the reason Stannis ends up going to Dragonstone is because Robert gave Storm's End to Renly instead of Stannis, even though Stannis was the older brother. Uh, yeah, yeah. Something along those lines. He made them both members of the small council. Got I think slighted. Renly's the master of laws. The master of laws? Yeah. It's huh. a weird title. Varys is master of whisperers. Littlefinger's master of coin. Grandmeister by sells the Grandmeister, obviously. Um, Stannis' ships, yeah, Renly would be laws. Okay. And then there's a couple others that are supposed to be there that aren't. Okay. Whatever. For the sake of keeping it under control. Well, I mean, the Lord Commander of the City War, like, Jano Slint should be on the small council, and I believe Barrison Selmy was it? Maybe I'm, I'm wrong about that, the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. What would they have to offer to that conversation? Just their perspective. It, it would make sense for the top cop to be there, the, the Commander of City Watch. Yeah, for but no, and it seems like that's no because the small council is dealing with the. It's like we're talking about different jurisdictions here. That's like the FBI, right? And that'd be like having the chief of police from Manhattan, whatever. Well, from it would be Washington. Yeah, of yeah, of Washington, hang out at the you know that doesn't make any I sense. I suppose, yeah. Right? Uh, all right, so where were we? Robert and Cersei. Now, this actually might be the best scene. And it's between this one and the small council meeting. I'll decide by the end, I guess. <laughs> but we get very few scenes with Robert and Cersei together. Like, Especially scenes where they're just, you know, relatively civil and yeah. having a conversation, you know. Um, Robert's calmed down a bit after he blew his lid at Ned, right? Cersei kind of offers some counsel on what to do about the whole hand situation. I kind of like, she actually's like, she's pretty smart. She's like, listen, you know, you two are, you know, you guys seem happy together or whatever, but without a hand, everything's going to fall apart really fast, right? Um, and I don't think Jamie, he says, like, I don't think she is like, ah, Jamie's not serious enough for the job. And, you know, I might not, not I might not like Ned, but he's, he was serious enough for the job, right? Um, and then I love the line from Robert where, he's, where he says, you do this thing where you move your lips and your father's voice comes out, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't even meet him until next season. So, but she's giving him sound of it's, it's one of those rare moments. Like I think uh, when in episode two we we talked about it when Cersei was speaking with Catelyn. Yeah, a rare moment where Cersei's being genuine. She's not really playing any game at this point. She's just talking. Yeah, because yeah, because if she was trying to play a game, she would maybe she would suggest somebody for the hand, right? You know, whether it was her her dad. Or, it would have for sure been Tywin. Yeah. Um, so do, 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 do they also talk, Robert also talks about, I actually really enjoy this part. Robert talks about the logistics of a Dothraki invasion, how it would work. Right. Um, and then he does this whole good, like what's greater the a five or a one. Right. And then we mentioned this earlier in the episode, but like how Westeros lost its purpose. Right. You know, mm-hmm. one, one, one army with one purpose is 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 stronger than five armies um, with different purposes, right? Yeah, because Robert is well aware. I think again in episode two he said this that there are still those in the Seven Kingdoms who call him usurper and would gladly side with the Targaryen army if they had the opportunity. Right. 
the thing is that Ro- I, I like that it's weird here, right? Because Robert totally understands. You get the impression, I guess, early in the season that Robert doesn't really care about anything that's happening, and he's kind of he's so far beyond caring that all he does is fuck whores or whatever, right? Um, drink a lot, yeah. Yeah, but he clearly does understand the state of the kingdom, right? He knows that it's kind of it's changed. It's not the same as it was. It's all like he said. It's all backstabbing and and like political maneuvering, right? Which, yeah. by the way, is what happens when you have a stable government. But um, to some, like, not like if it's really stable, like you have really good people in charge. No, I guess not. But when you have peace and there's no one at war, people are going to be sneaking behind the shadows because they can't be overt about it. Like that's just how it's going to be, right? Doesn't I? I I guess yeah. That's a different conversation. But there's always going to be someone looking to to for gain for personal for, gain. exactly. And if they can't do it through war, right? Then they'll do it another way. Um, and Cersei and Robert actually have an actual laugh. It's a pretty tender moment. It's probably the only tender moment that they ever have that we ever see. Um, they mention Lyanna, and it's actually pretty sad, right? Um, because the way this ends is like, I, you know, you know, I, you know, I did feel something for you once, you know, um, and another reference to their first unborn child that almost never gets talked about again. And then Robert with the cold, hard line at the very end, he's like, oh, he says that, no, there, that nothing that there ever was it. There never really was a chance for the two of them. And then with Cersei's, like, how much does Cersei's line speak to her character, right? She's like, when he says, how does that make you feel, better or worse? It's like, it doesn't make me feel anything at all, right? Yeah, because they're, they're well past that. It's just cold hard truth. Yeah. Right? But, but that's, that's, that's what drives, I would say, Robert's depression, right? For, not even for lack of a better term. That's definitely what it is. He went to war. Again, like all the songs say, he was the, the hero. He was going to go save his woman. And he won the war, but he lost the woman. Right. And so like what 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 else is there to fight for for him now? Well, then I guess like so he yeah, and then, then he ends up with with Cersei who he doesn't care for. He doesn't really Which is a completely him. political marriage. He just did it it was by necessity. Right. And so he's never he just the thing is like he never just he just never got over it, right? He's just wallowing in sorrow about Lyanna mm-hmm. and has been since the war ended, right? Yeah. So Ned and Okay, so what what happens here? Ned and Robert's bastard mom slash Littlefinger. Okay, yeah, so Ned gets goes over to the brothel, and there's some woman there with a baby, another one of Robert's bastard kids. Um, I like how when Ned's asking her, he's like, you know, all that John wanted to know was if, you know, we were happy and well-fed and all that kind of stuff. And Ned's like, well, the girl shall want for nothing, right? Like, he'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. Which is strange because... Again, not the hand. So <laughs> you had the yeah, actually, he, he has he still has means. Yeah. Um what's weirder to me is like this is little fingers, this is the important information that he needed to get to him, you know. This doesn't <laughs> seem like it's worth it. Yeah. Um it's like he, there's another one, great. Which is why No that, new information. And then Robert immediately leaves, right? He's like, Okay, cool. And yeah, I actually I actually replayed it because I like, did I miss something? Like, because I'm I'm watching, and then he's ch- chatting with the chick, and the next thing he's walking out the door. I'm like, I, I must have tuned out for a second. I backed up, and no, there's like he's chatting with them, and then he immediately leaves, and it's like that's it. Um, yeah. There's a mission complete. Yeah, out the door, and of course, this is where like the whole trap is sprung. Obviously, Littlefinger 
revealed to Jamie where he was, right? We can we can all agree that that's probably what happened here. Or did Jamie but, already know? Yeah, it's hard to say. I don't know what Littlefinger's stake in the Lannisters is at that point. I don't know how he benefits from letting Jamie know, other than sowing chaos. Well, yeah, so... Because Littlefinger has sort of sided with the Starks to a degree. He did, I'm sure he didn't want Ned killed that early. Yeah, no, probably not. Because he he walks out the door and he says, what is the meaning of this Lannister, right, to Jamie? And, you know, it's actually the Lannister men that are there, not the um, not the Kingsguard. And he's not in his Kingsguard stuff, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so he, I'm, it's hard to tell if Littlefinger's actually playing, like he's he's playing like, oh, I didn't know what was happening, or if he actually didn't know what was happening. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely possible that he leaked the information. That's without a doubt. I so, just don't, I'm, I'm struggling to see how Littlefinger gains from this. Well, yeah. Um, again, other than sowing discord between the two houses. Which, again, he already, he, well, exactly. We always go back to the chaos as a ladder thing. The problem with that whole, that whole, that whole spiel, but the whole chaos as a ladder thing, is that it can explain away anything, right? Mm-hmm. Any move that you can't, that doesn't make sense right away, can just be like, well, it's just to make, it's just to create confusion, right? Which isn't great. Um... So Jamie confronts Ned about his wife capturing Tyrion, right? He's like, I want my brother back. Ned takes responsibility for it. He's like, she did it on my call. I told her to do it, right? And uh, he never did get to talk with Robert, right? So he did lose his leverage. We talked about this already. Um, do, you, do you think this would have played out differently if he was still the hand? Well, yeah, he wouldn't have been attacked in the street. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. That's an act of treason. Okay, so yeah, he definitely, that's a, oh, such a dumb move. And I didn't really think about that at the time, but just giving up, but giving up your handship when you have, when you know that there is a looming confrontation coming with the Lannisters is such a stupid decision. It's so dumb. It is, but also Jamie's actions were unpredictable. I don't think anybody could have predicted that Jamie would just attack him in the streets. I, I don't know, man. Jamie, because Jamie it's, knows it's a that, fairly brazen move, and I think later in the season, Tywin makes sure to remind Jamie that that was a stupid decision. Yeah, I don't. I, it, it's dumb on both parts, but that it wouldn't have even been an issue. Like he it wouldn't, it wouldn't have even been a card that he could have played if mm-hmm. he would kept his handship, right? Um, I keep using that term. I don't know if it's the right word. <laughs> <laughs> you keep, it, it works. You keep saying that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> Inconceivable. Um, anyway, where was okay? So there's a a sword fight. Now this sword fight's better than the one we saw earlier in the episode, but still not great. So here's where I'm confused with you, Dan. I'm going to take you to task a bit. The sure. two of them are fighting here, and you're like, I don't see how Jamie could win like in a like a one on one sword fight with Jamie. He seems like he's holding his own quite well here. Again, okay, yes, Ned. He keeps up. He's a he's a proficient sword fighter, but he's just not on Jamie's level. Plus, he's much older. Um, Ned Stark in his prime versus Jamie in his prime. I still think Jamie wins. Like, it's just a different tier. Jamie's clearly toying with him in this fight a lot. Like he they'll they'll hit, he'll parry, they'll back off, and Jamie's smiling and he's you know he he's playing around with him. I don't. Um, I, do you think so? Because he's obviously pissed off when that guy stabs Ned in the back of the leg, right? Yeah, yeah, he wanted to win the fight, but he, he, I don't know, it's hard to say, but just knowing the, like, the context that I have from the books, if anybody's read the books, like, you know the way that they, they talk about these people, and maybe, because this doesn't happen the same way in the books either, uh, the Lannister men attack the Stark men, uh, 
Ned's horse is like overturned, falls on him, and breaks his leg. Like Jamie and Ned never actually fight in the book. Oh, this, well, is this is something they added cooler. for the show. This is way better. This is I'm sorry, but this is way better than well, definitely Ned for Landon entertainment value. And they they had been laying the track earlier in the season for the the Jamie and Ned confrontation. Like they yeah. they were always kind of you know politely threatening each other. So I, I get why they chose to go this way. It's fine. So do you think that the guy who stabbed him in the leg was like, oh, man, I'm going to get so many brownie points for this. This is going to go over super well. <laughs> because Jamie did say not to kill him, just to detain him. Right. That's fair. But I feel like a, a, a wound to the leg that big is almost like back then, quote unquote, is mm-hmm. almost certain death. Or at least you lose your yeah. leg. <laughs> right? So I don't know. <laughs> I'd be pissed if I was Jamie too. Although you got to say though that the Stark guys they die quick and brutally, hey? Like two of them die with lances within the first like half second. Like Yeah, right well they the were chest. they were severely outnumbered and then yeah, they they weren't even expecting a fight and they get speared right away the two guys, yeah. Stewart and Will. Jory holds his own, but I think between Ned and Jory they take out six of the Lannister guards before Jory dies. With a So hey, let me have a question for you. Is keeping a dagger like that close at hand like, is that considered an honorable move? It's pretty common, yeah. Most most of them walk around with a dirk and a sword. Okay, interesting. Because it seems like it seems like a dirty move to like have like to be parrying or whatever, and then and then <clears> it is like, like it's not <laughs> a, a knight in armor wouldn't have a, a dirk. I don't believe they would just have, they have their long sword or whatever. Okay, that was, that's like a more casual thing, but. Most of the fighters, like Dario comes to mind, like anybody from the free cities, they'll have daggers all over the place. It's like it's like walking around with a handgun instead of having a rifle strapped to your back. Yes. Right. And that uh, that ends the episode. Jamie kind of, he gives him like an ultimatum and he's like, I want my, I want my brother back and then rides off, which is weird because didn't he want him captured? <laughs> I think, I think what he said was just kill the men, kill his men. And like he it was about sending a message. But it was weird. It's like if the Starks took Tyrion, why wouldn't he take Ned? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's just it's cool, but it's weird. Um, obviously, they fine. should have had the city watch coming in, like shooing them away, sort of thing. That would made more sense. Yeah, something. It was empty. I mean, but again, I, the, Jamie has a lot of clout, right? He can keep the things quiet. Um, all right. So, final thoughts. Uh, this is a great episode. It's up there with one of the best in the series. Uh, never mind just this season. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. This is, like I said uh, in last week's recording, this is, this is, that was the deep breath. This is the plunge. This is now shit's real. And from here on out, it's, it's a much quicker pace. Well, yeah, just uh, things, and this is only episode five, right? But that, this episode is literally just jam packed with, with stuff. There's two sword fights there's um like political intrigue spying like like so much cool stuff happens in this episode right i feel yeah. like are we missing anything or is there no danny in this episode there's no john or danny which is interesting this is this is when the show starts to make those decisions because there's so much going on in king's landing this week yeah that they can't focus on anything else and you know what i think it makes for a stronger story right it does because in those earlier episodes we kept remarking upon how it would jump around and be like these little like essentially like 30 second scenes in yeah. all over the world and now they chose to focus on one area for a longer longer period of time i think it works I, it does I, it it only the this one jumps around between locations just not um all the locations right yeah um it's i think this, this game of thrones is at its best when it concentrates on a few 
plot lines at a time and not all the plot lines all the time, right? Uh, and obviously, it gets easier as the more people die, right, as the series progresses. But um, this is an example of when the show is at its best in terms of strong storytelling um, that is not confusing in any way. Obviously, we have seen we have um, episodes like uh, Blackwater or whatever where it's all in one place, right? But that's different. Those are like big battles episodes. Those stuff. are the events, yeah. yeah. Anything else we should say about this episode? Yeah, I think we covered it all. Yeah, I loved it. Okay. I'm going to say that about every episode this season, I'm sure, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. This is this is, this is a Game of Thrones when it was still fresh and new and exciting. And it's, it's, it's good. It's good stuff. So follow us on... Twitter at Tower Babblecast, like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Tower Babblecast. Send us any questions, comments, concerns to Tower Babble Podcast at gmail.com. Like us, uh, no, just go to, no, I already go, uh, no, I went through that already. <laughs> uh, website, towerbabble.ca. And leave us a nice review on iTunes. I'm probably going to record a new egg outro. This is just garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I say keep it. I say let's run. All right, all right. Either way, we'll be back next week with season one, episode six, A Golden Crown. This week's Game of Thrones theme cover is a synth cover by Glasses. G L A S Y S. And of course, you'll find their work on YouTube. And of course, don't forget to head over to cruiseofthrones.com to reserve your spot. 